Hey T. <laughs> hey S. <laughs> Long time no see. How's your week been? It's been good. I hear you have an announcement to oh my make. God. This is my <laughs> first time celebrating Lesbian Visibility Week. While I don't know what exactly I identify with, I still think it's kind of fun. I think it's funny because once I was like, I just want to be bi because the colors are prettier. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> flag colors, but I'm like something about the lesbian flag like the sunset it's gorgeous or like it's like sunset yeah. colors so but yeah anything else fun and oh and so it's funny because one thing that i was when i was talking to my therapist about they were telling me to honor my queer self every day i'm like that's so sweet but also kind of cringe in a funny way <laughs> like, like self-affirmation yeah, in the mirror i have to honor honor my queerness <laughs> like, like what are you doing for that <laughs> i don't know but it just it just i just can't kept coming back to that because I feel like oh, we'll eventually talk about this but everything in our culture is like suppress and yeah. like hide and put away and like yeah. literally go back to the closet yeah so I'm like okay I get to honor it I'm gonna wear my queer shirt of the day or like mm. take myself out and honor welcome to the hidden rainbow the podcast that delves into the complexities of being south asian and queer in america I'm your host T and I'm your other host S in each episode, we'll be exploring the unique experiences, struggles, and triumphs of South Asian Americans in the LGBTQ community. Happy Lesbian Visibility Week! From grappling with cultural expectations and prejudices to navigating relationships with family and community, we will be candid with our guests about our journey in coming out and finding community and creating their own definition of what it means to be South Asian and queer. So whether you're South Asian, LGBTQ, an ally, or just curious, we invite you to join us on this journey, self-discovery and acceptance. Let's start the hidden rainbow together. Okay, so to get started, I think the first thing we should do is kind of set the scene of our queer journey. I think the, f- the first thing maybe just how you've experienced it and then maybe ending up when you came out and like your feelings about that. Yeah, so I started questioning myself the most in high school because I was surrounded by a lot of queer people. But again, like, I wasn't surrounded by many South Asian queer people. So the picture in my mind of what a queer person was supposed to be was, like, a white person who dressed a certain way and looked a certain way. At the same time, I was still very attracted to men as well. So any queer thoughts that I was having were kind of pushed under the surface and not really addressed by me because I didn't think that it was a huge deal and I kind of didn't like that part of me and I wasn't accepting it but eventually I had the encouragement of coming out when I met some of my boyfriend's friends actually. He had a friend who identifies as they them. They were a white queer but at that point, I hadn't had like a bad experience with white queers. I was just so excited to meet an actual queer person in person. To start off, they weren't very nice to me. And at one point, I found out that they said that I was too quote unquote straight for them. And I feel like this kind of came down to the way that I looked. Uh, we were just so culturally different. I had a different skin color, I did not dress the way that they did, I did not look the way that they they did, and I didn't really talk about relationships and men and women the way that they did. And so I feel like they thought that because I was so femme presenting, I was in a relationship with a man that I was too straight for them. That was another thing in itself. But yeah, so I met 
I became close with this girl who ended up being my roommate for the following year in college and she came out to me as well. And so after that, I kind of felt encouraged to be able to express my feelings because at that point I had like a close friend who was also queer. So I let her know that, you know, I was also queer, but I feel like she maybe thought I was like, copying her or or something stealing her thunder or something yeah I mean it wasn't something like she came out to me and I was like me too but Mm -hmm. you know she came out we were like very accepting and stuff and then later I talked to her in private and I was like I think I'm also questioning certain parts of myself and that was the first experience I had horrible (laughs) with the queer community she was very not accepting she didn't like the way I dressed I feel like because I didn't express myself as a common, stereotypical oh, no, not queer. <laughs> because at this point in my relationship with my boyfriend, I had expressed to him that I wanted to experiment with women. And I would talk to her about this because she kind of went through a similar experience. She had had a boyfriend and she ended up breaking up with him because she wanted to date women. And so I would go to her for advice sometimes or just go to her to talk. And at some point, I feel like she thought that she was playing therapist. And I never meant to make her feel that way. I just had a lot of things going on in my brain. Like there were things that you could go to a friend about. At that point, regarding my sexuality and regarding my relationship with my boyfriend. And that friendship kind of ended because of me wanting the certain part. But I think it just didn't work out. And I don't completely blame her because I understand in a way that it might have been a lot for her to have me going so back and forth between what I really wanted to do. But it comes down to a lot of childhood trauma and just accepting myself within my own South Asian community, accepting myself as a South Asian. And these are things that she necessarily couldn't understand and at the time i didn't understand completely so it was really hard for me to explain to her as well and so if she hears this i hope she's doing well and at the end of the day i'm still with my boyfriend because i realized that i don't need that validation of being with a woman to know that i am attracted to women i don't need the validation of dressing a certain way to know that i'm attracted to women and looking a certain way to know that I'm attracted to women. I know myself and I know the truth. And at the end of the day, I'm glad that these experiences happened because it taught me a lot about the queer community. It taught me a lot about myself and it taught me a lot about making friends within the queer community. It's so funny because the whole point of being queer is like accepting people for who they are. But then if you don't fit the weirdness of them or like the craziness of some aspects, not that I'm saying it's bad, but, like, I feel like we're all valid in, like, how we assert ourselves. And yeah. many people, especially white queer people, like, we're going to talk about, don't understand the cultural things that, mm-hmm. for reasons we don't, like, stick out like a thumb or, like, yeah. are able to express ourselves. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I ended up coming out to my mom on a complete whim. I didn't really plan it at all. I just kind of came out to her. And it went absolutely horribly. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Because earlier in life, like, I kind of knew I was having those thoughts. So I would always ask my mom, like, that hypothetical question and be like, what if I was gay? Like, would you still love me? And she'd be like, 
yeah, of course I would still love you, but I guess it's very different when I actually come out. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, I can really see this too, when a lot of brown parents say they're super woke mm-hmm. until it's their child. Yeah, Where exactly. it's like, I like gay people as long as my kid is, or my family has nothing to do with gay people, or <laughs> yeah. like... I, I like people, other people of color until my kid marries a different person of color. Yeah. So it's very much like, that's them, but that's, that's not us. Yeah. She was very upset about it. She was like, I don't, I'm not even educated on this subject, so I don't even know, like, what to say. I don't feel like this is real. It was just a lot of, like, she was having a very hard time accepting it. And at one point, she was like, have you told your dad yet? And I was like no, I'm waiting for a good time because of the way you reacted. (laughs) And we ended up having this huge blow-up fight where she outed me to my dad. But he's like a typical kind of dad. He didn't really care. (laughs) Yeah, he was just like... He a whole episode of (laughs) (laughs) The chai dads. Just like, okay, I've been through war and back so do whatever (laughs) yeah exactly he was like did you like a girl and i was like yeah and he was like okay (laughs) yeah he was like okay good (laughs) but yeah so i had a very hard time navigating being queer but after my sophomore year of college i met actually a lot of a lot more south asian queers which i finally felt like i was part of a community and it was really nice and now we have this podcast because of it. (laughs) All right, S, do you want to go into your story? Yeah, so I think, maybe other people feel this, but I feel like I have a little bit of disjointed where I can probably pinpoint sometime in my early childhood where there was random instances, but I think my brain wasn't developed enough to like distinguish man from woman, Mm or it's just like, wow, like, whatever. Yeah. But I think, again, it was, like, you was in high school where, so something about me is I'm very, like, expressive in my fashion. I think it's, like, it's either, like, a tool or, like, a weapon I like to use. And I think in high school, specifically, because I wasn't openly queer, I, like, experimented with my fashion a lot and, like, kind of played in genders with that where it's funny, like a lot of people in my life have called me out on being gay, even if I haven't said anything. I remember this one guy was trying to make fun of me saying like, oh, you look like a lesbian. I'm like, oh, cool. (laughs) Where I feel like most people would be like offended, but I was like, I don't think so. Like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. And I just remember at the end of high school, I was like deciding between colleges and I'm like, if I go to this other college, I'll be in a more liberal city and for sure come out. At that point, I didn't like verbally express it to myself but I knew that there was some attraction to women even though I never had a crush on a girl and then came college where it was randomly a situation but I got close to three people and two of those people were queer so they're the first like you said queer people I've met and that first person was the first openly queer person I met and they were white queer so there's that But they also had a situation where their parents would have never accepted, but they were still so open about who they were and just, like, lived their life. And I eventually got a crush on her and, like, was really messy and it was mostly my fault. And she didn't let me back, which is her thing, which I, like, things happen, right? But that's really when I started understanding who I was and navigating that. And I really fell into that. And that's around the time when I told my friends because I was just... It just felt like me. It just felt like my identity. And I think now after coming out, I have some, I have to like, that part is tricky because at that time I was so assured of myself and I was so assured of like, I like women and I I identify as she, her. But from there, so I 
started realizing that like my attraction for guys was just kind of waning. Like I had dated a couple of guys, but it's just like, it just didn't feel right at all. And it just, I think sometimes it was almost too overwhelming. And during COVID, I just stopped dating altogether, but I still knew I was gay and I liked women. And I think I'm at a point now where for sh- there's one thing for sure I know is that I like and love women, but I still am questioning my attraction to men. Now, leading up to my coming out story, it's pretty new and it's definitely a difficult situation to navigate in which like I was kind of forced to. There's there's a lot of talk or like if you know South Asian people where parents have tricky boundaries with their kids and like to know everything and there's no concept of privacy or, or like like you can't take your life away from them. They should at least how my family is raised that they should know a lot of things about your life. So when my life started slowing down from school because I'm graduating soon, my parents started prying a little bit more and being questioning why I wasn't like I was hanging out with somewhere or like they, they felt like they didn't know where I was and they had heard some things from their friends of like, you never truly know your child. So one day they kind of sat me down and they were asking me about dating. And at this point I had known that they knew some of my white lies and I thought they knew more than they did. and. And also at this moment, I just knew, I always told myself, if my parents asked me directly if I was gay, like there's no way I could hide it. It's just not in my personality. Like I don't like, it's super hard for me to lie about that. So I ended up blurting it out and it was kind of a reverse of what I thought would happen because I thought my dad would like literally not accept it. He would be super against it. And like my mom would be the one because like in life, I've always been closer to her. She's always told me, like, and she's always shown me how much she's loved me, and I, I really can deeply, like, I really deeply understood that, but I felt like that's where some of the facade cracked, because she was, like, really in shock, and said so many things, like, that were shocking to her and shocking to me, and just, like, I don't think it was appropriately, an appropriate situation or appropriate response at all, but I think it was just the shock of her understanding this well did she ask you any really hurtful questions it was more about like how could you do this to me Mm. how could you do this like how did this happen when did you make this decision Mm. and it's it was almost like some of the things she said i it's borderline emotionally abusive i i could i've been through training on like what emotionally abusive words are and i could tell that and i was also in such a vulnerable position so it was just a lot and even like the day after when we discussed it, she was like, you need to think realistically. And I think that's the thing about, everything always leans back to realisticness and fear. Yeah. But luckily my dad in the moment is very understanding and he said he always knew and he like could always tell. And like while the language he used was not the best, I know he was trying, but I think- Did you kind of feel validated when he said that you, he could always tell or? I just, I don't like how that sounds. I just think yeah. that's a weird, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like I, like I don't know, that's just so. Yeah. I think, but also like when my sister said it, I felt validated, but when he okay. said it. Maybe it was the tone he was using or something. Yes, it was more like condescending. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're not so good at hiding it. I wasn't trying to hide it. Yeah. I, I was trying to be as Just be as myself. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, Especially in the way, he's like, I knew from the way you're dressed. I'm like, good. Like, that's what I was trying to, I was expressing myself. I don't use fashion to hide myself. I use fashion to express who, like, how I feel in the moment. But 
I think his overall message was like he understood and he especially like he travels a lot and he like has a, a keen understanding of the world where my mom focused on the family more and was not that doesn't really understand and she has some other things but I think I'm going through that trauma today. <laughs> I just haven't recovered from this personally. There have been things in my life after the situation where it should have been more traumatic, specifically like in terms of like I had like other traumatic situations happen, but this was still the most traumatic thing. And I think our all of our relationship dynamic is still recovering and I don't know if it's going to go backwards or forwards and I think I've struggled a lot because of it. So at the end of the day, I really wish I didn't come out, but here we are. <laughs> Based on my research, you know, there's a specific structure to how we as Indians live our lives. And you've kind of described that throughout your story. It's the concept of settling down is big and veering away from the norm causes major backlash. In an article written by Dar, I've sacrificed a lot growing up in LGBTQ India. Dar describes Sora's story of coming out. He describes an awful experience in which his coming out caused a lot of emotional and physical distress for the people in his family. His mother ended up in the hospital because of dehydration and stuff like that. Just because she was so shocked. It was clearly not something he would have done if he had a choice, you know? Exactly. I feel either of us exactly. wouldn't have had a choice. It's just part of who we are. And I personally like don't quote unquote lying. I'm very honest about who I am and they would have found out either way. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the same for you. I think that's something that my therapist really pointed out this time or like in session is like, I'm such a people pleaser. Like yeah. if I could turn myself straight, I would have, but it's such a core part of my identity and how I think and how I am. It's just so central to who I am. Yeah. That I guess my parents will never understand like how much I did have, not that I sacrificed for them, but like how much... I like went into like what they wanted just so they're happy. Yeah. And this causes a lot of self-esteem issues and low confidence issues in South Asian Americans and South Asian queers in general is the like lo kya kehenge and like what will people say aspect of it. I don't know if you haven't talked about like what your mom said of coming out about to your entire family, but yeah, my mom said, you know, if you marry a woman, no one's coming to your wedding. No one's going to support that. Your family will disown you. I think the thing is my mom hasn't even processed this at mm -hmm. all, but I think at least from my dad's side, I think in the beginning when he was like consoling me, he had a lot of hope and then now he doesn't, but in terms of like what will other people think he's very strong in terms of like an f you to everyone else and mm -hmm. like he was really willing and i think my mom is a little unique situation because i think the people in her family would understand because there is a queer relationship that happened in the family it's just that i know her first thought is what are people gonna think and her first thought always is what are people gonna think and yeah it's not just family it's the close friends it's like people are it's our neighbors it's and I think it's mostly because they feel it reflects on their parenting exactly yeah. where she thinks it's gonna be it's the concept of what will people say and coming out at, to your South Asian family is like seen as wrong yeah we talked in the last episode it's like a western ideal exactly. it's like why are you trying to be like the white people yeah. Which, I wanted to put a disclaimer in here. We are not against white queers. <laughs> I feel like we kind of sound that way. It's just we're, it's, sometimes it's a little bit of bitterness where, like, we wish we could have as much openness as they can. But also, I think because we've 
unfortunately gone through some like racism in the queer community from white queers and just I think sometimes they don't understand their privilege because they like to use their queerness as like to set them apart and like make them have a reason to I don't know, not complain but like I feel like in the specific instance of someone I know she was completely accepted by her family she had a girlfriend she was able to come out to her family and introduce her girlfriend within like a couple of months and I know she definitely struggled a little bit at the end of the day her family was very supportive and the girlfriend comes over often and it's just kind of accepting in her home and after I told her my coming out story of how my mom reacted, she made it about herself. And just, I don't think she understood how I can't express myself the way she does. And it's it has to do a lot with the intersectionality of my race as well. Exactly. Like hair, for example, is very- It's really important. Yeah, yeah. important. So, like I would not be, able, I, I still am barely allowed to cut my hair, let alone like dye my whole head blue. Let's say my mom knew how much dyed hair was associated with being queer no way i would be able to yeah exactly and for me my hair is just very culturally important to me it i have very curly hair Mm -hmm. and my hair is a source of pride for me yeah so for example she had shaved her head Mm. and while there's nothing wrong with shaving your head i think there's also nothing wrong with not wanting to shave your head yeah i I, it comes back to what we talked about in the beginning where like being queer is also about expressing who you are but you don't have to fit someone else's version of queerness. exactly like you can there's I, no picture of what queerness exactly. looks like like that's why i have some some issues when people are oh, she looks straight especially as like a femme presenting person exactly um it's like like especially in the like lesbian woman woman relationships like you often hear that and it's that's not fair like yeah how, why am i supposed to do performative queerness for you yeah. like i don't want to do that yeah But again, I want to put a disclaimer in here that we are not against white queers. I personally and S has personally also just had some racist encounters with white queers and the intersectionality of being queer while also being a person of color. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about your first crush? On a woman? Yeah. Yeah, okay. My first crush on a woman, I was working at this restaurant and she like was very openly a lesbian she was dating someone at the time but and i was also dating someone at the time it's not but it wasn't like i was going to tell her or anything i just felt this attraction towards her and i couldn't understand it Mm. and i never told her she is never going to know (laughs) but yeah it was just like and i've also told my boyfriend about this that (laughs) i liked her because i again i'm a very honest person i don't like keeping things from people but yeah she was like you could say quote unquote my bi awakening Mm. because she was the first person that I looked at and spent so much time with and I was like I kind of want to spend more time with this Mm. person but of course I never told her because I was scared (laughs) and I like I hadn't accepted myself like during that time so yeah I think for me so I, I mentioned how like throughout my schooling I kind of had thoughts here and there. I think one in particular is like when I was a kid, I was like, I didn't realize being around someone or wanted to be someone's friend. I think I can now discern. I just like liked them. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there was this girl who had very pretty blue eyes and like brown hair. And I was in sixth grade and we had this activity where we had to become partners with someone and like learn about them. And I, would, I was literally following her discreetly. 
I know it's creepy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be creepy. I just wanted to be her friend, but I guess I like liked her. Um, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but I think my first real crush was was my like sweet mate roommate kind of first white queer I met, and I think because. Well, some of it I had a I had a whack personality whenever I was with them, which is why I think our friendship ended up not turning out the best. But again, that was my fault. It wasn't their fault. If this person ever hears, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, I know I was not the greatest person back then. But with this person, it's just like, it was so strong. It was exactly for me like how when I, when I had a crush on a guy where I think my personality is I can f- picture a future with them or like mm-hmm. I want to date them. Like things like that and I I really I really liked spending time with this person and like at the end of the day I realized gender didn't really matter there's th- that at that time there was things about both gen- both genders that I very much appreciated and liked for dis- different reasons and that's kind of what like fueled me to like look at celebrities or like other things and in the same article by Bayalder, she discusses the implications of conversion therapy. When you think of conversion therapy, you probably imagine the most disgusting and vile things. However, conversion therapy can also include doctors giving a medical diagnosis of sexual disorder or telling patients that their queerness is abnormal. The conversation around conversion therapy often centers around the illegal or disgusting nature of the treatments that doctors and healthcare professionals prescribe people, but it can also be the mindset gap in accepting LGBTQ plus identities in medical practices. Okay, so when you came out to your parents, did they ask about any medical procedures that would confirm your queerness or like how did that go? Yeah, so my mom and I had a whole discussion about me on neuroscience research behind queerness. She was just curious about like whether you can scientifically prove if someone was queer or not. And it kind of hurt, but then at the same time, I took this class last year called The Psychology of Sexuality. And in that class, I learned about the mosaic brain theory So, according to Sex Beyond the Genitalia, the Human Brain Mosaic by Daphna, Joel, Zohar Berman, and Ido Tavor, documented sex and gender differences in the brain are often taken as a support of a sexually dimorphic view of the human brain, or the female or male brain. However, such distinction would be possible only if sex and gender differences in the brain were highly dimorphic. The brain is not a dimorphic organ in humans. There's a spectrum on which our brains have dimorphism. All of us have quote-unquote male and quote-unquote female distinctions in the brain. This means that most of us lie somewhere in between. It is very rare to have a perfectly quote-unquote female brain or a male brain. Thus, sex and gender queer identities are probably more normal than we know. As the research paper puts it, our study demonstrates although there are sex and gender differences in the brain, humans do not belong to one of two distinct categories, the male or female brain. That's... I, I know what you said at the moment that, like, your mom, like, it would kind of hurt what she asked. But I think, like, for me, it's honestly kind of cool that she was asking you about it. Not that I'm saying that was any... But I think her, like, having some inkling of wanting to even know more about it was... It's just interesting. Like, I hope at least one day, like, my parents can get somewhere there, or at least my mom. I think she just doesn't understand at all and is not willing to understand. And I think you were mentioning there's a lot of ideas in Indian society where it's just seen as a mental illness. I think I took that same sexuality class as you and our professor defined when they thought homosexuality is a mental illness because that's like that's what they thought before but when they realized it didn't inhibit people's ability to do work it's like not considered a mental illness but I think that mentality still prevails because 
British colonization in <laughs> India. And just saying, go to our first episode. <laughs> yes, our first episode. Because if we remember that, like queerness is very documented in the Kama Sutra. So, I think if if I were to give this to my dad, he might understand it more. But I think deep, deep, deep down, he really just wants me to be straight. They use the phrase, you never know what's going to happen. I think mm. they want to rely on that. But when I get to a place where I can be, I think you need to understand love for women will not die, but my love for men may come back. But you just need to be ready for that. Because the way it came out was I no fiber in my body will ever want to be with a man. So I think that kind of scared them and I understand why, but I just was feeling so intensely at that time. So, but I think this idea, I, I'm someone who loves science too. And just the idea that maybe science can back us up a little bit helps. But I think regardless, I think there's a lot, it's like tricky to understand, but I think I'm, st- I, I still feel valid in how I feel. Yep. Yeah, I'm really glad that the mosaic brain theory exists because it does give the validation of the queer community, whether you're part of the trans community or just identify as gay or lesbian or bi. But I think it gives a lot of scientific backing as well because I found myself wanting the scientific backing and wanting to know more about how our brains differ neurobiologically being queer or being straight or being somewhere on the spectrum because again sexuality is a spectrum all right kind of a personal question i just like like moving away from the topic but what was the hardest part about coming out for you so me as a bisexual woman i have a boyfriend who i've been dating for about three and a half years almost four years so Having him in my life, I've been very open and honest about my queerness and my wanting to experiment at one point and things like that. But the hardest part about coming out for me was just accepting myself because I very much love my boyfriend and I still wanted to experiment, but I realized that I need that emotional connection with someone. I can't just go out and date someone so I still had so much love for him so I definitely can't experiment without just breaking things off and Mm -hmm. I just feel that's not a good a good enough reason for me in my heart to break up with him because I know that I eventually still want to end up with him and I think coming out to my mom we don't talk about my bisexuality at all or discuss queerness in the house because I have him as a crutch and I say crutch because had he been a girl, my story would have been really different. I would have had to validate myself to my mom every single day. Anytime she came over, I would have to get ready for my mom's stairs or whatever she would do. But yeah, having him kind of there to stabilize my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) is, yeah, is nice. But it was really hard for me to navigate my queerness while also having a boyfriend at the same time because he was there throughout my entire coming out story. Yeah, and I think I've, I've heard a lot of stories, especially from bisexual women who are with men. It's just, they just, people just think you're going through a phase, which it's really not. And that also comes specifically in the queer community. And I think specifically bisexual people have a hard time because you're not straight enough for the straight people and you're not gay enough for the gay people. Where I've seen like talks or I've seen the like, conversations where it's like, you should pick a side. You should either be very straight or very gay. And it's, it's kind of frustrating to see how people can't understand that 
you can just love so many people. Like, at the end of the day, it's not, like, a perverse thing. It's just I love a person. Like, how is that harmful? Which yeah. is, like, it's, it's like, when you come to the root of it, it's just surprising people don't have empathy for that. Mm-hmm. So I really understand, like, because it comes back to you don't do performative queerness, it can be really difficult because you might feel like you have to validate yourself as a queer person because you're in a straight-passing relationship. But I, I hope more queer, queer people understand it. There's so many other difficulties. And yes, while you're not going to be in public with a woman and someone's going to throw something at you, you still have feelings for women and it's still your identity. So I respect that. Yeah. What about you? What was the hardest part of you coming out? I think just navigating family. I'm glad my sister's there with me. And deep down, I knew she was just going to be there. But I think I'm glad she's on my side. I was just the shock of not of the parent not accepting me and I think I'm always going to be in constant fear because now it's a it's certain that there is a part of my family who does not like this and does not want this to happen and is going to ignore this as much as possible and going to try to change me and I think it's but this experience has made me realize how much my parents and my relationship was a farce in terms of like I, I like got to realize how much I do for them and how much I sacrifice who I am for them and it, it sounds silly. At this point it kind of feels like it's conditional love, not unconditional. Kind of where I, I know deep down they love me and I really I understand that but I, I think they want me to some like quote unquote think long term and it's frustrating that they can't trust me to make my decisions and that I have to adjust my life for them and it's even more frustrating that I have to, in terms of my relationship, I'll always have to hide that until they're ready for that and I have to sneak around. And I don't think they realize that I have to lie to them in order for me to be happy because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be mad about me lying, but it's always just the cyclical thing of why didn't you tell me because you don't accept, but that's not right. And just navigating all this and not being able to express how upsetting this is and that my identity is just not a phase because this comes back to generational trauma where our parents went through something so difficult that I will never understand, like immigrating, but they also don't understand how hard it is to be an Asian American or a South Asian American where I've had to navigate so many things and now my identity being one, they have no context for that and I think they're always going to belittle it and not appreciate it. Yeah, I think especially being a child of an immigrant, it's hard to navigate where you belong because... It sounds so cliche, but it's so real. For me, at least, a personal example is living here, growing up, experiencing racism. And as I'm growing up, it's like, when I was younger, of course, I was blind to it kind of because I didn't know what racism was. But now that I know, I see all the microaggressions. I see everything. I see the looks. Like, so growing up here, it's like, I don't belong here. And then when I go to India and see my family, they're like, you can't even speak Marathi. You Well, I can speak Marathi, but I don't speak it so fluently like I speak English. And you live in America, you have an American accent, you go to American schools, you have white friends, you have black friends, you have friends that aren't Indian. Not all of my friends are Indian. So it's like you don't fit in either world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so real. The last time I went to India, I actually cried because I was I haven't seen this part of my family in over a decade Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I'm part of this family because they don't even know who I am 
And of course they want to know who I am, but it's just, I don't belong. Yeah. Essentially. No, I, I totally get that. It's like, I, I first and foremost will call myself a South Asian American. I, I consider myself an American, but that identity is hard to navigate. And I think the culture is going to come with it. I can't just live by my parents' expectations of how to live. Like I'm going to grow from outside experience, but because they don't understand that I'm disjointed in between. I feel we talked about this before, but all everywhere, everything, all at once, that movie, the, the one that won the award, whatever, really, I feel broken in, in between two worlds where I'm like, not, I'm definitely not Indian enough in India. Like I could not live there. I don't think I could survive, but here it's, I just have to make so many adjustments just because of the color of my skin or like who I am and also now my queerness. And I, I think that's also why my family's scared of, and it's just fear of me being queer because they know how much more I'm going to get discriminated against. And conveying that I know that to them is so challenging because they still think of me as their little girl. Yeah. I don't know how this relates, but I just, this also comes with their stereotypical notions of a queer person. You were mentioning cross-dressing and even my, my parents were, I, I just, just dress feminine for us. Like, you don't have to like, cut your hair short. You don't have to do that. Like, I think they have a notion that like all gay women have short hair and like are masculine, but it's frustrating. Maybe someday I might do that, but it's, they're already trying to control that aspect mm-hmm. of my life. So. Yeah. I kind of wanted to touch on, we talked about everything everywhere all at once. Um... Coming out to my mom was a hard journey, but it also taught me a lot about the mindset of an immigrant and how it is hard for her as well. She's coming to this new country. She has no idea how to navigate it. She doesn't speak the language very well. She has an accent, so she's being discriminated against. And then all all of that happens, and now she has to raise a child in this completely new country where the child learns all these different parts of the American culture and they want different things than she's grown up with. So I understand from her perspective and we've kind of talked about this a lot where she understands how hard it is for me, but growing up now that I'm maturing as a person, I also understand how hard it is for her. I can't imagine. And she grew up in a very small village in Mumbai and she she didn't have that many other outside influences in her life. It was a lot of like school and then coming exactly, home. Exactly. And I went to her village. It's very beautiful. It's kind of like the Ford villages that they had. It was run by a company. Okay. So everyone who lived in that okay. for worked for that company and all the houses and everything were supplied by that company. So yeah, she didn't live in a very big house. There were six people in one small, mm-hmm. like the size of this room, yeah. which isn't very big. <laughs> so I understand it was a very hard thing for her to navigate of coming here. And all I know and all she has drilled in my brain is that she always has wanted a better life for me than she's had. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand that. And I think my queer- queerness was just something she was like, I'm very uneducated about this. And of course, her questions hurt. But at the end of the day, I knew they came from a good place. Yeah, I, I, I totally echo that where like, I'm the first, I'll be the first one to defend how hard an immigrant's life is. And especially my parents, especially South Asian people. Like, I can firsthand see how much they struggle. Like, they've told me so many things. I just, I have an issue, though, because I feel like what's at least a lot of South Asian kids feel like their parents invalidate any struggles they have. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, or 
many queer people are very un- like we understand to whatever degree we can and how hard their life was here and that they wanted a better life for their kid I just think they go about it in a way that doesn't support the child and it's more about prevention tactics and if they truly want their kid to be happy and if that's truly the goal I think that then listening to the kid is like or it's I'm not even a kid I'm an adult listening to your adult child is important and that's that's at least personally where I'm struggling is they haven't made the distinction that I'm their adult kid Mm -hmm. I'm not a child anymore and while I did realize this part of myself when I was a kid, it doesn't invalidate who I am. And I think because they've seen me as this kid that they need to protect this, this their whole life. And like you said, they want a better life for me. I, I, I think that's why they're so fearful and protective. But what they don't understand or realize are two things is like, first, this is how I ensure I have a better life. Mm-hmm. Like if I was stuck with the person who I like, physically could not be with I don't physically just could not love yeah Yeah. physically could exactly physically couldn't love or like it's for me it sometimes causes a physical negative reaction where it's so stressful and like a visceral reaction exactly it's like a I don't hate men (laughs) but I think the idea of being in a relationship with them is just I could never emotionally connect with a man like I do a woman like Mm -hmm. I, I I have tried and there could be a perfect man but there are already so many perfect women where yeah. I don't need that perfect man I can get my perfect woman yeah and maybe the second thing I, I, I realized and something my therapist I'm actually my therapist a lot because therapy is good um <laughs> that she told me is they've already gone through so many hard things they're gonna get through this but I don't know if you will and that kind of hit me because it's not that I'm a weak person who hasn't gone through hard things I think it's just the emotional trauma that I've been through this and dealing with this it's hard to see how easily I can get to the other side. Whereas I know they've been through so much difficulty that they'll be okay. Yeah. How has coming out impacted your mental health? So it's been really rough, to be honest. I think this is, I've gone through some other stuff in my life, like in the past where I've been at low lows, but I think this has come at another different type of low because in those times I felt like I had family to rely on specifically I had my parents that whom I could I felt like I could like trust and talk to but I think now that's been like pulled for me and I I don't unfortunately I don't feel like I can trust my parents with any part of my emotions which is very stressful to go through and additionally with this a couple weeks or two weeks after there was probably another super random traumatic thing that happened specifically violence and that was also super traumatizing, but I think I mentioned this earlier that the other traumatizing things that happened still could not compare to coming out. I think that was still the most, the thing that like hurts me the most today. And I think I'm still coping and there, I'm, I still get triggered to that day. And it's kind of sad because it's supposed to be a moment where I share my identity. So I think right now, maybe in a year I'll be better, but it's because it's so new. I'm super fearful and anxious, mostly because in regards to my relationship with my parents, they're more now in surveillance mode and prevention tactics instead of trying to understand who I am. Because A, they're either in disbelief and want to prevent me from thinking about that because the next journey of my life is higher level schooling and they don't want me to focus on my identity even though it's just a part of me. So 
it's been super tricky to navigate and I some days are good and some days are bad but luckily I have a support system whom I could talk to but it's not great <laughs> yeah do you want to talk a little bit more about how you got therapy after after coming out because I know that getting a therapist was like very hard for you because you had to navigate talking to your parents about that as well yeah so I think after coming out it was finally the last straw of me just like just being like I need to get a therapy like earlier in my life I there was I think I've struggled with some mental illness in terms of like anxiety and but this was like the final straw for me for needing a support system in my life to help me talk through things specifically after I talk to my sister about this she's like the first thing you need to do is get a therapist and that's one thing I love about her she's super blunt and like open and direct about things but basically I went to my school and I just like I need a therapist and they had a psychiatric counseling program what was great and what I didn't expect is they were very open about how specific you wanted to get your therapist and I think this is probably the only time I'll get to be super specific on who I want to choose the person I have is, while they're not a person of color, they're very aware of their privilege as a white person. Like the first book I noticed in the room was White Fragility and how we can talk about it. And the first session with them, they're like, I know I'm white, but I think we can get through this. And she understands cultural values and can really tie that in. So I appreciate that about her. She's also queer. So she uses any pronouns and is married to a woman. So. This also kind of quelled some of my fears my parents planted into my brain because of how is your future going to work out? And I'm, my therapist is married to a woman and they're clearly fine. So I think just being with them and them understanding queer politics because I would have preferred someone queer over a person of color because queerness is such a unique thing. Not that a lot of people don't have it. It's just that, or not have it, like experience it. But it's, it's so hard to navigate because as white queers will tell you, you're still going to be mistreated if you are a queer person anywhere around the world. So, yeah. How about uh, you? <laughs> being queer, at least for me, I've had a therapist since my senior year of high school. My depression got so bad that my mom actually just got concerned and she was like, do you need help? And I was like, because I was scared because I knew that she wasn't very for therapy but she was like if you're getting to this point you might need it but yeah I was like I at first I was like no it's fine I'll get through this she's like mm. people pleasing yeah yeah I didn't want her to be like upset with me but yeah. at the end of the day she was like, if this is something you need I love you and I will support you which was really nice but specifically talking about coming out and impacting my mental health when I came out to my mom I just felt very disgusted with myself because of, I don't know, maybe it's my anxiety or maybe it's just her emotions just reflecting back on me. But yeah, I just felt like, okay, uh, yeah, am I wrong? Is this actually a phase? And I kept like yeah, rethinking that. Exactly. everything that she was asking me. And she's like, mm, this is probably just a phase. And I was, because I would go through days where I'm like, I don't know if I'm attracted to women anymore because of this experience. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I knew the truth was it, that's not going to go away. But yeah, it, it took me a while to realize it's very normal. It's okay. She has questions that might hurt, but they don't mean to hurt you. 
and I mean again like we haven't really talked about it too much because I have a boyfriend and I don't want to start World War Three in my house. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, we just don't talk about it anymore, which kind of hurts, but it's just a part of life, I guess. Living as a South Asian American, South Asian queer, it's like, things, so yeah, yes. things things get put back in the closet or things get suppressed. Yeah. And like it's it's like the Encanto song. We don't talk about Bruno. Like, yeah. We don't talk about things like we're gonna. Pr- pretend that we even had this conversation like sometimes i'm even doubting if i even came out because like, it's yeah. so hidden yeah but then i like feel all these like but then you I, remember the crying and like everything you're like yeah. there's no way they forgot they yeah, did all that exactly. and like i feel the aggressions day in and day out like yeah. yesterday oh my god i was literally you know the the gender sexuality shirt i have from school like, it's literally a free shirt it's not like i went out to buy it yeah it has a rainbow like, of course, this my mom definitely noticed it because she's like, what shirt is that? And I'm like, oh, it's some random shirt. And she's like, yeah. And then I literally put my phone down, switched my shirt around, and continued my day because I was like... We're just not going to talk about I just about can't, this. like, because I know eventually it's going to turn into her being like, no, you, you can't do this. And yeah. I, I think I'm at the moment or time period where I, I can't even... I personally can't even have the conversation with her because I'm... I think they're going to... They're, they're going to need me to be, like, emotionally stable for, for... I need to be emotionally stable to have this conversation with them. Like, if they see any sign of weakness, I think they'll attack. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So going off of that, mental health is a huge thing that is impacted when coming out and or expressing yourself as a queer individual. You can refer back to our first episode where we discussed the impacts of British colonization on our culture and how it has led to the stigmatization of being queer. I talked about Mohan Thanushri's book in which he interviews different organization leaders of the LGBTQ plus movement in India and discusses mental health impacts of being out and the lack of mental health resources for people in India due to the lack of acceptance and education about queer individuals. In this episode, however, I want to focus on the mental health of queer South Asian Americans. There's a lot of invisibility of our specific demographic, thus there's not a lot of research on South Asian American queers. This podcast exists to change some of that. There is a group called Samhaj, a program that exists to tackle the silence and stigma around LGBTQ plus identities in South Asian communities. Samhaj, S-A-M, HAJ is run by the National Alliance on Mental Illness of New Jersey, NAMI NJ. South Asians are the fastest growing Asian American ethnic group in the US, and the group Samhaj facilitates the conversation around the acceptance of LGBTQ individuals into their families and in the community. In an article titled, How LGBTQ Plus Members in the South Asian Diaspora Navigate Stigma and Stress by Amanant Golhar, they discuss the shame and stigma that is associated with being queer and how this affects people's relationships with their families and friends. When Aruna Rao came out to her family as queer in 2015, she wanted to be able to support her family in receiving this information. She knew that it would be seen as a matter of grief for family members to have a queer child. However, when she found resources that were meant for people like her, she described feeling invisible and uncomfortable. There are not many resources available to help diaspora families. Aruna later founded her own called the Desi Rainbow Parents and Allies in 2017 to help people like her overcome these challenges. A link to this will be provided in the show notes. You can register for family support groups, peer groups, and just support groups with other LGBTQ plus South Asian individuals.
We as South Asians crave family acceptance and hold family to the highest regard. The Desi Rainbow recognizes that and gives parents and family members a place to meet one another and discuss how to support their children. It allows South Asian queer kids to be seen, accepted, and affirmed, Rao says. I think a, a final last important note to talk about is the pervasion of sexual violence in the South Asian community and the intersectionality with the queer community as well. I think I saw like a, a statistic that bisexual women are the most people in the queer community to, to experience sexual violence. And sexual violence is something that's very stigmatized in the South Asian community because a lot of the blame is seen on, on the woman or the person who is attacked. You have some final thoughts you want to add on that. Yeah, so I wanted to touch on that important topic because it's all too often swept under the rug. Queer individuals in South Asian American communities face sexual violence. It is hard to come out about sexual violence that they face because the community stigma already surrounding their identity and the invisibility and disproportionate representation of us in the media and in general. In sexual violence among LBG plus South Asian Americans, findings from a community survey by Shahamir H. Ali and colleagues. The aim of this study was to evaluate the experiences of sexual violence among LBG plus South Asian Americans and evaluate differences in sexual violence related attitudes and mental health outcomes between LGB plus and heterosexual South Asian Americans. They found that overall LGB plus South Asian Americans displayed a disproportionate burden of sexual violence and depression. Out of the 385 responses that they recorded, 24.1% or 93 of the participants identified as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. In the bivariate analysis, the LGB plus Participants were more likely to experience contact-based sexual violence and rape multiple times as compared to their heterosexual counterparts. Furthermore, the LGB plus participants reported a higher prevalence of both moderate to severe depression and PTSD as a result of the sexual violence. In conclusion, the invisibility of this demographic of people has caused a lot of disproportionate physical and mental health health care in regard to sexual violence. It is a huge issue that needs to be addressed and improved by healthcare policies and more education about the acceptance and affirmation of South Asian American queer identities. I think also a really important note on that that I hope like like sexual violence prevention workshops or think tanks or groups really do is understand the Asian American experience in sexual violence because even personally like I'm, I was involved in an organization and I feel like um, in, involved in combating sexual violence and I think the Asian American story is always swept aside and it's very little. I think we spent the least amount of time with that even though so much of us are affected. Not that I'm pitting any race groups against each other, I just feel like it's time for our voices to be heard in these spaces um, so people can better understand us and allow our stories to resonate with people and allow people allow kids and and girls and boys and whomever to not feel alone because i think our narrative is pushed to the side and we're often again just seen as that model minority Thank you so much for listening to episode three of The Hidden Rainbow. Again, the link for the Daisy Rainbow will be linked in our show notes. If you or anyone you know as a South Asian queer individual are struggling with their identity and or struggling with familial acceptance, let them know of the Daisy Rainbow organization. I hoped you learned a few new things today. And tune in for our next episode where we will be interviewing M. M is a trans, non-binary South Asian international student from Pune. 
we will be discussing their experience of coming out and living in the U.S. as a queer South Asian immigrant. Thanks for listening.